Hallelujah. Our living hope. He's not dead, he's alive. Praise God that we aren't serving some sort of an idol that sits on the shelf but doesn't do anything that is powerless. Praise God that we don't have to serve a God that we hope is in a good mood today. But he is our living hope. Thank you, God. Um, yeah. How good is it to be in the house of God tonight? Today. Tonight. Today. <laughs> it's tonight somewhere. Not in Thailand, though. I can't use that excuse. Uh, hey, it's so good to be back here. I was trying to work out before if this is my sixth or seventh time at Sale Baptist Church, either at Youth Things or, or on a Sunday morning. I'm not sure, but we can't get enough of this place. My kids are having a great time here, um, so thank you. Thank you for having us again, Sale. Yeah, please, please grab a seat. Sorry. <laughs> Just keep you standing all service. Chuck your hands in the air. Give us a few hallelujahs as I go. Yeah, so as, as Lauren uh, again pointed out, uh, Scott Morrison. Hey, so that's an awkward name these days. I uh, booked a physio appointment the other day, and she said, uh, what name should I put that under? And I go, Scott Morrison. And she goes, ha, 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 no, really, what name? <laughs> Scott Morrison. She goes, ha, ha, very funny. No, Scott Morrison. She goes, no, really. I was, Look, I'll bring my driver's license when I'm in the, in the appointment tomorrow, but it is actually Scott Morrison. So that's been fun. Yeah. So uh, my family and I are, um, so I've, my wife couldn't make it today. Our little one is struggling a little bit with driving. And so we, um, we'll go to the next slide. I think you got a picture of, there we go. The one on the right there didn't make it. That's my Zoe. Um, she didn't make it because uh, driving is not really her thing. So yeah, yeah. And that means it's not my thing either. Uh, screaming in the car. Yeah, so we're serving the Lord in Northeast Thailand. For those that don't remember, I'll just give a bit of a, bit of a we'll go through the next one. Um, the trucks are really friendly in Thailand. They like to greet you. Um, we'll go, <laughs> you, can, you can keep cycling through these ones. Um, so this is Thailand. And the next one shows where Isan is. This is Isan. It's a people group of 22 million people, 0.2% Christian. 0.2. That means two out of a thousand people know Jesus. Um, on this, this is broken down into the sub-districts, so sort of like suburbs of Thailand. All the green ones are places where there is at least one church. All the red ones are where there are no churches at all. And as you can see from where Isan was, there's a whole lot of red there. And what we are looking to do there is make disciples and start new churches that reproduce themselves. And um, there we go. So, uh, it's, a, it's a tonal language. Thais, who's, who's learned a tonal language here? Anybody? Tonal language, so language is where the tone fully changes the meaning of the word, which means you could say something like, my, 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 which means new silk doesn't burn, does it? Anybody want to have a go saying that? No one? Hey, well, that's offensive, whoever just said that. I'm kidding, it's not. <laughs> you didn't say anything offensive. Yeah, so that means one day there was a, um, there was a, a missionary speaking at a church and uh, to say God Most High, you say Prachao Pu Ying Yai. Unfortunately, he spent the whole sermon saying Prachao Pu Ying Yai. Anybody hear the difference? Which means he spent the whole sermon, rather than talking about God Most High, he was talking about God the Big Fat Woman. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to go into details of this one, but during COVID, me and my teammate were going around to different quarantine facilities, handing out bags to the, because there wasn't enough funding, there wasn't enough, it was, it was a bit of a mess, so we were handing out bags that were full of 
sort of hygiene items, you know, toothbrush, toothpaste, soap, some uh, mosquito repellent, um, shampoo, a couple of snacks, things like that. So it was mo mostly hygiene items. And so I just started referring to them as hygiene bags. We brought some hygiene bags, tung anamai. We brought them as a blessing. God loves you. He sees you. You're important in his eyes. We brought these hygiene bags for you. Until one time, the volunteer who was with us looked at me very awkwardly and said, you keep saying hygiene bags. You shouldn't call them hygiene bags. And I was like, why shouldn't I call them hygiene bags? And then watching his face as he explained to me that hygiene bag is a word for prophylactic. And so there I was saying that God was looking to bless them. Ooh, yeah, that was awkward. So lots of language mistakes, but it's a real joy. Um, I'll tell a few stories in a little bit, but today I'm mostly here to talk about this idea of making disciples. Now, when you hear the word make disciples, what comes to mind? Lots of thoughts. Lots of thoughts, right? Uh, sometimes it's, what is a disciple? That might be the first question that comes to mind. What is a disciple? Who is a disciple? Are you a disciple? Uh, it might seem straightforward, but even on the mission field, even where we are amongst missionaries who have all moved over for the same purpose, there's not really agreement on what the word means. Does it mean somebody who's been baptized? Is that what makes somebody a disciple? Is it somebody who's repented and believed the good news? Because in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. But if we don't know what the word make, words make disciple means, it makes it pretty hard to go and do it, doesn't it? So, the word disciple in the New Testament actually means student. means student. And it was used uh, for somebody who is looking to follow a religious figure. So, you look at the, the 12 disciples. When did they become disciples? There's this whole spectrum of when they started, because they were a long way from the character and heart of Jesus when they started, right? But then you look in the book of Acts, and they've come a very, very long way. At which point in that spectrum did they become disciples? They were flawed and imperfect people who grew in their understanding of Jesus and in their obedience. But they became disciples the moment they said yes to Jesus. The moment Jesus said, follow me, and they said yes. So that first genuine significant yes to Jesus, that is when the moment of becoming a disciple begins. So when you talk about making disciples, it's talking about from somebody who has zero understanding of who Jesus is, right through the spectrum of, I don't know who the closest person to Jesus is, but that person. That's the process of making disciples. Now, I want to tell you about a friend of ours uh, before, I, before I jump into the main core of this message, a friend of ours. Her name is Mare Dom. This is her here. Now, she comes from a long line of Buddhism. Been a Buddhist her whole life. She's 64 years old. Been a Buddhist her whole life. Her family before her were Buddhists. Her, all her siblings are Buddhists. In her neighborhood, there's not a, single, not a single Christian. So, unreached people group, what that means is when you walk into a village, people say to us, where are you going? And we say, we're here to bless our neighborhood can we bless you? And they say, yes. And we say, can we tell, have, you heard, have, you, have you ever heard the story of Jesus before? Almost exclusively, the response is no. They haven't heard about Jesus at all. And she was one of these people. And we said, can we pray for you? And she said, yes. And so we prayed for her. It didn't feel very spiritual at all. We, we asked her what we could pray for. We, we said, how is your physical health? 
how is your, how is your, uh, do you have any debt? How, how are your relational problems? We ask all questions around that. And then we prayed for her. It didn't feel very spiritual at all, but we prayed for her. And then we left. I didn't feel the Holy Spirit's power moving through me or anything. It felt just like I'm talking to you guys right now, except I stood like this as I prayed. So not a lot in it. But when we came back a week later, she was sitting out the front of her house and she said, since you prayed for me, my fingers aren't locking up anymore. Her fingers, she couldn't work properly. She was, she was weaving fabric. She couldn't really do it, but now she could because her fingers weren't locking up anymore because God had healed her. And then she said, do you have anything else I can read about God? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I think we can help with that. And so we started the process of discipleship and she started bringing us along to her relatives to tell them about Jesus because she was like, oh, they need to hear about this. And for a while, she was working at a noodle soup shop and people would come in and sell things. And she would say, hey, quick, come in here. You need to hear this. In this moment, we had gone to drop off a, uh, an audio Bible to her. And, uh, and she, we were just going to drop it off and go. But she says, no, no, you have to come in. These people need to hear that story. And so these people need to be blessed. And so we come in and she says, hey, can you bless these people? And we said, you can bless her. And she goes, oh, yeah? Wait, what do I say? And so then we just, it's just to asking the God who created the heavens and the earth, who created all people, gave life to all people. You're asking him to heal your friend. And then you're praying at the end. You pray in Jesus' name so we're not praying to any other spirit or power. And she goes, all right. And here she is praying. This is the first time she'd ever prayed for somebody else. It's a really, really cool moment as praying for, for, her, for her, her friend here. Um, now, the thing about Mayor Dom... She is still a Buddhist in that there was one day where we had just had a really cool Bible study and we were home and then she comes and knocks on our front door and says, hey, Scott, we're all going to the temple to make merit. Do you want to come? For those that don't understand making merit, that's the process of trying to build up your karma. It's about, yeah, I won't go into the details of it. Basically, it's a, it's a Buddhist religious thing which says that she's very much not laid down her Buddhism. And so... So she comes and knocks on the door, and she says, do you want to come and make merit? And I just couldn't think of anything else. I said, oh, sorry, I'm busy. <laughs> yeah, nailed that one. And so, um, so she's very much still a Buddhist, but she is stepping towards Jesus, and it's a process of laying down her life. Now, if we're talking about making disciples, who in the Bible would be the best people, the best person to look at for making disciples? Jesus, Sunday school answer, nailed it, Lauren. That's right. I'd go for Jesus too. This time, we're going to look at somebody else who is a very good example of disciple making because he wrote about half the New Testament. We're going to look at, um, at, at something that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. So if we can go to that slide. We're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Is that too small? Oh, good, good. Thank you. If you're turning in your Bibles, I'll, I'll give you a minute to get there. So we're going to be looking at what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. We're going to be looking a bit about what he did, and we're going to be looking a bit about what he didn't do. I can still hear rustling of paper, but I think we're getting close. You can still hear the flicking of fingers on an iPhone screen too. Alrighty, I'm going to start reading. 
So Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty and impressive words to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ and the one who was crucified. Sorry, Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. I love it that Paul talks about not using clever and persuasive words, because, I mean, if you look at some of the stuff that he writes in the New Testament, man, he's got clever and, persu- clever and persuasive words, but he chooses not. Anyway, um, so we're going to jump on to uh, uh, the next slide, if we can. So, the first thing that Paul did, the first step that Paul does in making disciples, is forget everything except Jesus. Forget everything with Jesus. He says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul knew Jesus, and he knew what Jesus had done for him. Personally, he knew what Jesus had done for him. He didn't need specialized knowledge outside of that. Knowing what Jesus had done in his life, that's what Paul saw as the most important thing for him to know. In fact, he didn't want to interfere with the truth of the message by trying to out-argue or dazzle his audience or his opposition or whatever. Only a chapter earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul puts it even more strongly when he says he was sent to preach, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Wow. Wow. So this doesn't mean that Paul was unprepared or was going around saying stupid things and going, oh, Jesus is going to fix it, and <laughs> it's fine. But what he's saying is that this isn't about me. This is not about me. I am not important in this story. I am not central in this story. Who is central in this story is Jesus, who was crucified for us, who was raised to life, and who still works through us in power. That's what Paul is saying. He is the central one. Paul is saying, less of me, more of him. You see, Paul was a very educated man. He was a very smart dude. So why not use that eloquence? Why not use, that, use wise and persuasive words? Because he had them. The reason why he didn't is so that their faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. I know when I talk about making disciples and with the people who we are discipling, I sure as heck hope that their faith doesn't rest on my words. I sure as heck hope that it doesn't rest on me being in a good mood that day. Oh, wait, did I say that right? Was I charismatic enough that time? I hope it depends on the power of God. You see, we're not car salesmen here. We're not trying to uh, get people to buy into some fad or gimmick. We're bringing the true and life-saving word of the gospel. No spin, no gimmick, no fad, just Jesus. That's who we are bringing. So what would it look like for us in our lives? What would it look like for us to resolve nothing but Christ and Him crucified? What would that actually look like? That's an important question because it's a bit of an airy-fairy concept maybe. But I reckon it would look like knowing Jesus, to actually know Him, have that deep relationship with Him seeking intimacy with the Lord, knowing Him, 
and knowing the life-saving work He has done on the cross, and knowing what He has done specifically for you, knowing how your life is different as a result of Jesus, knowing what your life could have looked like. That doesn't mean you need some sort of a wild testimony where, oh, I was on so many drugs, I was on all the drugs, <laughs> and all the parties, and then Jesus, you don't need a testimony like that. But it's, knowing, it's about a bit of awareness about yourself, what God is doing in you, the parts of you that He is sanctifying to make you more and more like Jesus. It's about knowing that. That is the work that Jesus is doing in your life. It's about knowing what it means for the lives of those around us. Because if we know that, if we really know how much the people around us need Jesus... We're going to, like, if we truly know it to the core of us, like, I think we can all say, oh, yeah, they need Jesus. But if we truly know it, and if we let that break our hearts, the people that don't know Jesus around us, if we let, you know, that, do you guys know the song Hosanna? You know, break my heart for what breaks yours. Heal my heart and make it clean. Break my heart for what breaks yours. That's a really dangerous prayer to pray. But if we're truly praying that prayer, God, break my heart for what breaks yours, then lostness, people that don't know Jesus around us, that's going to hurt. That's going to break our hearts looking at unreached people groups around the world, that's going to break our hearts. People living in places where they can't hear the good news even if they wanted to, that's going to break our hearts. So if we know how much people need Jesus, that's going to be really significant. So I just want to ask you right now, spend a, spend a short moment pausing and going, what has Jesus done in your life? And how is your life different because of him? If you don't have an answer to that that you can give to someone, I reckon this week spend some time going, Jesus, how has my life changed because of you? Spend some time in the morning before you have brekkie, when you wake up, spend some time with Jesus and go, Jesus, how have you changed my life? How, what is different because of you? So I want to bring us back to our, um, our friend, Mayor Dom. You see, she only knows, her, her knowledge of Jesus is very low. She only knows a little bit. But what she does know is that other people need Jesus too. She knows what he has done in her life. She got a new job. We, we, she, she, was, she, did, she, um, she was struggling financially. We prayed for her to get a new job and she got a new job and she says, God bless me with a new job. A few weeks later, that business was really struggling financially and so she couldn't work there anymore. And there was another, another job opportunity came up and she got it. And she's like, God gave me a job. So she sees these blessings in her life how God is giving her everything she needs. And she's so quick to turn the praise to Jesus on that. And she knows that other people need this. She knows that her, neighbor, her neighbors across the street, down the street, her relatives in the next village, she knows they need this truth. So she'll take us there. We'll rock up to say hi and she'll go, where are we going today? I know, let's go to my, let's go to my, my, my aunt and uncle who are in the next village. Isn't that cool? I want to be like that when I grow up. I want to be that sort of a person. It's like, who needs to hear about it today? I find that really inspiring. Even though she does not have a whole lot of knowledge, she knows who Jesus is and she knows what he has done in her life. So, that's the first thing that uh, Paul did. He forgot everything except Jesus. And the second thing that we see he does is that he relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we look at Paul's strategy for making disciples, first step, forget everything except Jesus, and second step, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Quick show of hands. Who here loves control? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of us, if we're being honest, most of us love control. Who here has small kids right now? Who knows that you never really ever have full control there? Yeah, yeah. Is, is, that, is that fun? No, it is not. <laughs> yeah. Everybody loves... Actually, no, I don't want to say that because some people didn't put their hands up and I don't want to say something incorrect here. Everybody loves control. Somebody said, I don't love control at all. I don't want to say that. So a lot of people love control and being out of control can be really difficult. It can be really hard not being in control. So this idea of relying on the power of, Holy, of the Holy Spirit can be really daunting. Am I right? Anybody disagree with me? Anybody saying, no, it's not scary at all. You're just soft, Morrison. No one? No one? Good. Because I'm pretty sensitive if you'd said that. You would have hurt my feelings. So, um, sorry? <laughs> so, I just want to get you to picture something. Picture you're walking into a village, a Thai village, a village in Isan, that has been Buddhist for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, Buddhism has been around for about two and a half thousand years, so call it, it's been Buddhist for over a thousand years. I don't know how long Buddhism has been in the country for. But this village has been Buddhist for generations and generations and generations. Spirit worship, ancestor worship. There's some pretty dark beliefs going on there. Your language is mediocre at best. Walking into that village, how do you think you're going to feel if you're relying on your own ability to change something? Yeah. That is the single best time that I've found that I've had to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when I walk into a village like that, one of the first things we say as we're praying is, Jesus, we have nothing. I can bring nothing to these people. I've got nothing. If I try and dazzle them with my amazing words, it's going to achieve nothing. Out-arguing people isn't going to bring people into the, into the kingdom. So we walk in, we say, Jesus, we have nothing. We need you. We need you to move in power. We need you to show your glory. That's something we pray every single day, is we need you, Jesus. Something that's really helpful, has been really helpful for, 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 for me and my family, is this understanding that knowing what our job is and knowing what God's job is. So in that situation, it's our job to seek intimacy with Him, to know the Lord deeply to know Him. Not just read my Bible and pray, but to know Him, to know His heart. Yes, that's a part of it, but it's more than that. To know Him deeply, to know God. Intimacy with the Lord, and then to go and be obedient to what He's telling us to do. So our role, my role, your role, is intimacy with the Lord and obedience. Intimacy and obedience. That's our job. And the job of changing hearts, of drawing people into the kingdom, that's not on me. That's on Jesus. That's part of what it means to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Knowing that it doesn't depend on you. Your job is intimacy and obedience. Which means you still have to go. You still have to go and tell people about Jesus. There are people in your world that will hear the good news better from you than from anybody else. That relational connection, God will use that through you more than He would any other person. but it means it doesn't depend on you. If you step out deep in love with Jesus, if you step out in, in, in obedience to Him, that's your job. It's God's job to change the person's heart. I want to tell another story 
quickly. Can we go to the next slide? So the lady on the, on the right there, top right, her name is Mare Sombat. And she is a hero of the faith. She's about, I think she's about 65. And she's amazing. She's the mentor of a friend of ours from our old village. And when we moved to this new, this new town, we got a call from our old friend saying, hey, can you go and help Mare Sombat? She, she's, she, she needs a bit of help. And so we went and helped her. We, we, we went and visited her. And basically, she's just a cracking evangelist. She's a firecracker. She tells everyone in the village about Jesus. She's got a small church of about 10 people that, um, that she's led to the Lord herself. But she was stuck and needed a little bit of help. And uh, so we said, yeah, we'd love to help you. So we'd go around, we'd share the gospel with people. And then there's this other guy that she told us about. His name is Pete Gone. And she said, Gone is despised by the village. The word she used is despised. It was a really strong word. Like, I can't overemphasize how much this is like a, he is a social pariah. Like, this is, this is a big deal. He's uh, got a history of alcohol and drug use. He's got a history of violence. People are scared of him. People go down a different street. Not just they'll try and stick on the other side of the street, but they'll go down a different street in order to avoid this bloke. And you know what Mass Sombat said? She said, everybody else is scared of him, but not me. Because God's given me a burden for him. I want to be like Mess on Butt when I grow up. <laughs> right? Can you imagine that sort of faith? This is a, like, he's properly violent. I won't tell you what he's done, but it's not pleasant. Um, but she's not scared because God's given her a burden. And so she goes, Today we're going to go and visit Pete Gone. And I say, All right, let's go. And we walk down. And when we get to the front, when we get to Pigon's house, he has a sickle, you know, the uh, long curved blades, gaffer taped to a long bamboo pole that he's using to cut the grass out the front of his house. And you know what my first thought was? Oh, good, the crazy man's got a weapon. <laughs> Exciting. And so he's cutting the grass, and Mayor Sombat goes to him, gone. We're going to go up to the front of your house, and we're going to tell you about Jesus. And you know what he responds? go away, bother somebody else, I'm busy. And she goes, no, we're not going to bother somebody else. We're going to talk to you. It's not going to take very long and we're going to do it now. See what God says? He goes, go and bother my friends instead, I'm busy. And at this point, I'm thinking, okay, let's go and leave the crazy man alone. Let's go this way. <laughs> Bye. Uh, but Mare Sombat, she digs in. She's like, nah. She's like a, I don't know, I was going to say, I, I won't use that analogy. But she's just... She's just stubborn, and she's digging in. And she says, gone, we're going to talk to you now. It's going to take about 10 minutes. We're going to do it up in the front of your house. Let's go. And she marches off. And you know what gone does? Marches along with her, still holding his weapon. And I'm thinking, nah, I don't want to be on the evening news tonight. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Random old Thai lady and missionary slaughtered at the... No, I didn't want to do that. So she marches up first. He's marching up behind. So I bravely, courageously walk in behind at a safe distance. <laughs> and we, we, get, we get up to, his, um, to, to his, the front of his house. This is, that, that's the front of his house right there. Uh, gone is the one on the left, obviously. And we share the gospel with him, creation of judgment. And we can see that God's doing something in Gon's life. And there's this moment of going, okay, this is pretty cool. And so we say to him, Gon, the God who created the heavens and the earth and gave life to every single person, 
He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. Your life has value. Your life has worth in the eyes of God. And his eyes start misting over with tears. And so we pray for him. And then we say to him, God, would you like to know this Jesus? Would you like to know him? And he says, yeah, I don't want to go back to my old life. And so just in that moment, seeing the raw power of the gospel, this was not, my words were not smooth. They were not charismatic. It was literally just the gospel truth. Broke through an incredibly hard exterior. I am so glad that that didn't depend on me. I am so glad that that had nothing to do with me. All my part was in that was to know the Lord and to be obedient to what he was saying at the time and also to have my brave bodyguard mess on, but come with me. But then the coolest thing was to come. So we, kept, we, we, we started discipling him. Um, we, his friends weren't interested in hearing about Jesus. We'd go there and they'd disappear straight away. But that's right, we kept discipling. We hit a point where he was ready for baptism. And... Uh, so baptism day came around, and we, baptized, we, we set up a, pub, a paddling pool, right? Oh, I, this is, that's not, back one, please. Thank you. So just that, that like, empty concrete space just behind where Gone is sitting is where we set up the paddling pool. And uh, we started filling up the pool, and then we realized we had a problem. The trickle of water was so low that we're like, oh, man, this is going to take hours. So it literally, at two and a half hours, we're like, okay, I think, it's, I think the water's high enough. You know, we're not going to have to, like, kick him down to keep him all the way under. Like, I think this is deep enough that we could baptize him properly there. And so I call, I call my wife to come and I call Sarah to come and get the kids to come and join us because I want them to be a part of what we're doing as well. And so they rock up. This is now about three hours after we started filling the pool with water. And, um, and she gets there and gone is missing. He's nowhere to be found. We looked everywhere. We, we walked around the block, couldn't find him. And uh, our thought is he's got cold feet. He's decided he doesn't want to do this. That was sad, but it's, it's okay. He can, he can make that decision. But then somebody said, oh, yeah, I just found him. He's, he's inviting his friends to come and watch him get baptized. And so one of his friends comes along to the baptism. And as we're explaining what baptism is, we're literally just quoting Scripture. Again, this has nothing to do with how, how well the gospel was presented. We talked about baptism being the washing the washing away of sin, it's about dying to sin, to your old way and being born again in Jesus. And she, this lady, her name, is, her name is P. Tip, she's there going, I've got goosebumps. And like, God's doing something here again. So we then share the gospel with her. And she says to us, I want that. Oh, and, and God is there. God comes along and, this, and he's like, when, Jesus, when, you, when you have Jesus, your old life is gone. It's gone. You just have the new life in Jesus. And she's there going, I, I want that. I want what just happened to gone. And we're like, do you want it now? She's like, I do, but I'm running late for work and I can't arrive soaking wet. So, so we met up a couple of days later with, uh, with her and with two other neighbors that had also witnessed. And we shared the gospel with them. We shared the good news with these guys. And they were clearly ready to be baptized. They're like, yeah, we are all in. You know, we asked them. Um, do you repent of your sin? And they say, yeah, we repent of our sin. We, we repent of our old way of life. We want to follow Jesus. And then we say, even if persecution comes along, will you love the Lord all the rest of your life, all the days of your life? And they go, oh yeah. And we say, are you going to rely on Jesus and no other spirits, gods, or powers? You see, that's a really big one for Buddhism because it's syncretistic culture. They like to, yeah, I love Jesus. And like, like Mayor Dom, I love Jesus and I'm going to go to the temple to make merit. Um, and so we say, are you going to depend on Jesus and only Jesus, no other gods or powers? And <laughs> P. Tip goes, 
yeah, I've been doing that since last Sunday. When the monks came this week, I didn't give them anything. So, it's like, cool, awesome. And so the following week, we baptized, we baptized, this is M, his name is, we baptized him, we baptized his mom, and we baptized P. Tip. And now that group, we're meeting together every Monday to read scripture, to worship, to talk about how we can be obedient to what Jesus is asking of us. And there's other people that are coming along and they're hearing the good news and they're telling their family about it. And the gospel is spreading and it's such a cool thing to be a part of. And it relied nothing on any charisma or anything from me. It is just the power of the Holy Spirit. So I've got to tell you, I do not have wise and persuasive words in time. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever... Some of us might have been a foreigner in another country where you didn't have great language. Some of us might have been friends with somebody who was a foreigner here. It can be really hard, hard for them, hard for you. Lots of communication issues. Well, that's us while we are there. We are, we are that person. And it's just cool seeing how God moves in power. So I want to ask you a question. When was the last time that you found yourself needing to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you found yourself not in control. Not, not because you might have said something stupid, like, man, I've got to go to the principal's office. because I, Not because not of that, but because you've put yourself in a situation where you're like, Jesus, if you don't turn up here, this is going to fail. This is going to crash and burn. I need you to turn up. When was the last time you put yourself in that situation? So, what would it look like for Sale Baptist Church as a community to be a people that relied on the power of the Holy Spirit, that genuinely relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. That might look like praying for a co-worker, praying for healing. You see a co-worker sick or injured or whatever, a relative, praying for healing. And knowing that this has nothing to do with your power or your words. That could be one thing it looks like. It could be about telling a family member about the good news, about what Jesus has done in your life. That might be something that Jesus is challenging you with right now. For some of you, it could be about selling everything you own and moving to northeast Thailand to come and work with us. A little bit of a laugh, but seriously. There is great work to be done. There is, God is doing cool things. God is doing amazing things. I, I do want to actually invite you to come and join us. Long term. Learn the language, learn the culture, come and join us. If that stirs something in you, I'd love to talk to you later on. Um, and the other thing it's going to look like is praying. Praying a whole lot. James 5.16 says, The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and, and effective. The prayers of a righteous, man, a righteous person are powerful and effective. Your prayers make a difference. So there was... We did a big outreach... Um, back in November, November and December, across four different locations. We were involved in one of the locations um, where we had a bunch of teams go out, prayer walking and sharing the gospel. It was really crazy cool. But um, the, I feel like the, in, the effect of prayer, I've never seen it more clearly than with one of the groups in Ubon Ratchatani province. I expect you to remember that. There'll be a test at the end, Ubon Ratchatani. Um, they went gospel sharing, they, they had initially set out to go to five villages, and they prayed for weeks for these five villages before they went. They prayed for them by name, for God to prepare the way, for God to move in power there. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed. 
And then on the day, they realized they had more time. Well, it was across three days. Towards the end of it, they realized they had more time. More time. So they went into three other villages. So they went to a total of eight villages to prayer walk, to gospel share, to see if they could start new churches there. In the five villages where they prayed for heaps beforehand, they started six new groups. Six potential new churches were started there. And in the three new villages that hadn't been prayed for, nothing. Not a single good God conversation. There was this really clear separation between where, had God, where people had prayed. God moved in power where people hadn't prayed. Nothing happened. There was opposition. So if nothing else, as a result of this, I want to ask you to start praying for your neighbors, for your family, for your friends. Start praying and looking for those opportunities where you can show them what Jesus has done in your life. I, I also want to invite you to, like, just selfishly, pray for us too. We need it. We need it. If you're, if you're interested, I've, I've got some cards, some prayer cards that I'd love to... Do I have one here? I do. Yeah, come and grab one of these bad boys. We'd love to have you pray for us because your prayers make a difference. Your prayers matter. Um, that was just a little selfish spiel I'd throw in at the end there. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to spend just two minutes. We're wrapping up now. We're just going to spend two minutes in silence. And what we're going to be doing... It's the next slide, I think. Oh, no, we'll skip this one. How can I rely on the power of the Holy Spirit for the next two weeks? Over the next few weeks, sorry. Over the next few weeks, how can I rely on the power of the Holy Spirit? What is that going to look like? And what I want you to do, I want you to write something down and I want you to tell the person next to you, for the introverts in the room, I'm sorry. I know this isn't fun for you, but there's something powerful about speaking out the commitments that we make before God. There's something powerful in that that holds us to a higher level of accountability. So for the next couple of minutes, I think it's literally going to be maybe two or three minutes, we're just going to spend time in silence going, how can I rely on the power of the Holy Spirit? And once you have something, feel free to tell the person next to you. Okay? Go for it. <laughs> 